and welcome back to Mindful Warrior Radio. Mindful Warrior Radio is a space we created to share brave stories, authentic insight, and real knowledge. My name is Cami Craig. I'm a former elite athlete, Olympic champion, turned performance and culture design coach at Mindful Warrior, and I'm your host of the Mindful Warrior Radio. On today's episode, we have our guest Cornelia Holden, who is the founder and CEO of Mindful Warrior, a performance coaching and culture design company. Cornelia has spent nearly two decades collaborating with elite athletic coaches, forward-thinking executives, industry leaders, and pioneering educators to address leadership and team effectiveness. Drawing on her extensive educational background, and experience, Cornelia has worked with clients in a wide variety of industries, developing mindset and behavioral changes required to affect lasting culture transformation and performance optimization. I want to give a warm welcome to our guest Cornelia and to our listeners today that will be joining us as Cornelia defines Mindful Warrior and the service it provides shares how her studies and life experience led her to the work she's doing today and conveys the intimate process and mindset of writing her first book. Thank you. And I hope you enjoy. Welcome back to Mindful Warrior Radio, Cornelia. Thanks, Cami. I'm glad to have you on this morning, and I'm excited to really talk just a little bit more about who is Cornelia, how did she come to be, and how did she get connected and wrapped up into the world of Mindful Warrior Radio? (laughs) So lots of questions to ask you here. I'm excited for it. Um, And I thought maybe we could start with, would you mind just introducing yourself? Sure. So um, I'm Cornelia and uh, I'm the CEO of Mindful Warrior and I also wear a few other hats, but in terms of Mindful Warrior, that's kind of what I've been doing and working as an entrepreneur for about 20 years. Awesome. Thank you. Um, I think, you know, I've, I've known you now for some time and like you said, you wear quite a few different hats um, and the ways that I have um learned you is that you're not only a founder and CEO, but you're a coach, you're an athlete, you're a healer, a writer, a creative, a mother, and a wife. Um, But I wanted to take a moment um, and have you tell us a little bit about Cornelia, the founder and CEO of Mindful Warrior. And what is it like to wear that hat? Um, And what, what have some of your experiences been? Um, well, right now I'll start the present because we're kind of, we're here in the middle of COVID. You're in Utah. I'm in California. Um, our business is all over the country and functioning in multiple time zones. So I'd say right now the experience of being a CEO and also a writer um, coming out with a book is um, is exciting, novel, tiring, mm-hmm. um, and and complex. Um, but also, I, I think there's a lot of um, just, it feels like we're at a moment where we're taking stock of 20 years worth of content and, mm-hmm. and skill and experience. And um, 
you know, you're helping me to organize it and coach on it. And, um, and I think we're kind of, kind of getting ready for this next phase of development in the company so that we can keep, um, reaching a broader and broader audience. So I'd say kind of what it feels like right now. Um, I don't know if you want me to talk about stuff prior to that, but yeah, I think, you know, I'm curious of what, you know, what has surprised you most about going through the process of, you know, first starting your business, but just you, yeah. right? Like employee one and founder and CEO, yeah. Cornelia Holden, and then growing um, a small business and a boutique um, high-end coaching firm. Yeah. What has been maybe some of like the biggest surprises or even challenges throughout yeah. your experience? Um, I think um, probably the biggest challenge, but um, the only way to grow is to figure out how to be an actual employer. You know, that pivot from being a sole proprietor and kind of the content creator or the coach um, and the visionary to the moment when I remember somebody saying to me, like, I really think I'm, you know, meant to work at Mind Foyer and you're supposed to be my boss. And I'm like, wait, what? Like, I barely know how to figure out how to do this myself. Um, And that was, um, I think, about more than 10 years ago now. Um, so I, that to me, it was a big, just a big step and a big leap and a big transition zone. I all, but I think about, I mean, the interesting thing is to be at this moment and to look back and realize like when I was studying in graduate school, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur mm-hmm. and I've been an entrepreneur since I was really young. I always had little micro businesses I was running. So in some ways it's really cool to be at the moment where, a dream is being realized. Yeah. Um, and I guess in terms of, so like in some ways where we're at is where I think I set the compass way back. I think the hardest things, um, especially being in kind of content development and in, um, and in coaching is that this is not a business that you can start and then have an IPO and have a, you know, and, and like make a lot of money when you're in your thirties, because it's really about um, the craft of being somebody who can coach other people. So you have to spend years like you did, you know, you came on board because you spent 15 years on an, on a national Olympic team. And then prior to that, you've done all your training. Like, so it's about, it's an interesting, slow, grow, slow build kind of company where mm-hmm. people hire us for our expertise and our experience doing things. Um, so one of the challenges you were asking about the challenges is um, uh, being both truly excellent at your craft while also having to be a business person. Right. And those are not always the same skill set. Right. Yep. Absolutely. And I think, <clears throat> is there any sort of like mentor or guidance or people that you've looked towards to help you through this journey of kind of building out Mindful Warrior? Um, definitely. I would, I mean, immediately I go to the content side or like who I've become and though my, most of my mentors are like really amazing teachers, whether they were like, um, in graduate school teachers who really helped me think through uh, some kind of theological, like, I don't know, mind-blowing idea, or somebody like, um, um, I I would say, like, meditation teachers have been incredible. But I don't think, when when I think about it, Cammie, 
in some ways, I would say it's also been um, kind of lonely and a lot of just leaning on my own gut instinct and my own um, like grit, grind and hustle to make stuff happen as a, as a, as a senior female lead CEO. Um, I, a lot, I don't have any friends who chose this path. Like Mm -hmm. most of my friends are W2 employees and, you know, somebody's they're, they're functioning in that way. So, um, you know, with an institution, so I've been kind of like a trailblazer from the beginning. And, um, I think probably I looked, I would also like, I think maybe this is why I love books so much because I've basically had to lean on wisdom through reading. And so it would be like, okay, I remember when Jim Collins came out with from good to great, you know, and Mm -hmm. he's, like, like, I was like, okay, that's a way of thinking about business and excellence that really resonates with me. Or, you know, reading a lot from Harvard Business Review on like how to build a team and what's the difference between teams and groups and that. So like, I think that's kind of in, a, in an interesting way, I've had to be really self-taught yeah. um, and use a lot of books and then feel like those, the, the authors become like my tribe. Yep. Yeah. Really interesting. <clears throat> Have you found something that really, you know, had anything that stands out to you that really is working well for you? Um, or, you know, I would imagine it's just a ton of small successes and victories yeah. along the way. Yeah. Um, but is there like a point where you're like, okay, like I'm, I'm dropping into this, this feels like I have a flow, um, or something that kind of stands out that you're like, okay, this, this is really, this is the direction I want this to go. Um, and, and has helped define what mindful warrior is as a company. Um, I would say that, uh, probably trusting my gut and my instinct has been, extremely important all along because it's been a very unique journey. So there's been like moments where, for example, I really deeply dropped into being a documentary photographer and it's like, okay, how is that possibly related to being a CEO? Well, I had to do unbelievable research and organization to even figure out how to do what I was doing. And I was working in Maine for five years on a major grant and it was, I was exploring hundred year old businesses in Maine. And so like just the organization of like figuring out who the CEOs were that I wanted to interview and where to go and the equipment and then producing um, uh, a show that then traveled around the state and then like writing for that. And, you know, so all of that, like kind of vision, execution, vision, organization, execution, and then like promotion, I think has been, so that was there. And then I would say, you know, I dropped in deeply to becoming a, you mentioned in my bio, like I I really did become a healer and spent a decade um, refining that craft. And I think that was because I was really trying to understand the intersection of the mind and the body and the spirit, but not just intellectually. Like how does it, how does it actually feel to heal myself? I'd I'd had a very serious um, ski racing accident that kind of moved me in that direction. Um, but then like, what do you need to do to take care of yourself? And then how do you actually help other people through that journey? So that was a huge dedication of time that I, like you talked about dropping in, like, I I feel Mm -hmm. like I dropped into that documentary. I dropped into being a healer. I definitely dropped into being a student of spirituality and spiritual practices and really stayed committed to that for, well, since, um, I started in grad school. 
then I really dropped into working with teams and, and athletes and coaches and like, like athletic teams. Right. And then that was a decade long drop in and really understanding, like I was interested in how then the individual functions in a group and then in a team and like, what's the relationship between how do you help individual individuals who have really elite level goals or just their goals? Um, how do you build teams that help people level up? So that was a deep drop in. And I think the last big drop in besides obviously being a a wife and a mother, which are two really big drop ins, um, I would also say just becoming a real, like what I would say is like a real CEO, like you actually have employees and like really uh, building a company and figuring that piece out. Awesome. I mean, it's, it's incredible. Again, you talked about just kind of the time it takes to build experience to be able to show up in the role as a performance coach. And I mean, just in all the things that you shared from, you know, your experience through doing the documentary work and the healing work, not only for yourself, but for others, working in teams and eventually getting to the point of, of managing your own team. Um, uh, on the level of, of being the CEO of, of a company, um, and that, that in itself, and I'm, I'm excited to kind of dive a little bit deeper into, um, that beautiful map that you just laid out for us of kind of how you've, you've come to be here today. I think for our listeners, you know, I, I, it it would probably be important to share, you know, what is mindful warrior and how, you know, we'll dive more into how it came to be, but, um, you know, we've, we've shared little bits of it, just this, just getting started, um, in this discussion today, but, you know, how would you define mindful warrior and, and add a little color to that? Sure. So we're a coaching and uh, culture design firm. And what that means is that, um, clients hire us to tune all of their systems to a set of, um, bedrock values and behaviors that level them up and take them kind of on the, we we talk about J curves in our work with our clients, where most of our clients hire us kind of excited to make something happen. Um, and then they realize, you know, that there's going to be some significant work to make that happen. And they, they, we, they hire us to help them build a high trust, high performance culture. And part of doing that is helping them see what their current culture and norms are, um, help them then develop a culture playbook where they, um, they develop what we call a covenant that's connected to these values, that's connected to behaviors. And then you roll that out basically through, through management training and through other trainings to help people understand here's who we are and how we do things Mm -hmm. and how we do things so that we don't default to unconscious or subconscious or what we call below the line behaviors that cause everybody to get stuck in things like drama triangles or um, you know, a, a hesitation around feedback or an unwillingness to champion and challenge or support or level up. I love what you say, Cami, because you do some of this work with me. You talk about the importance of you know climbing while pulling people with you, right? Mm-hmm. And so that is a profound skill on a team or in a group or in a firm. So we come in and help kind of design for success. And then there's always that gap between where they currently are Mm -hmm. and their aspiration. 
and in that gap is called coaching. Like we then come in and help individuals as well as like we put individuals into dyads or into quads. So we create like strength, micro strength within the macro organization. And then what happens eventually is you start to see synergies because everybody is starting to share consciousness, share practices, get better together, level each other up and move through hard times um, while also, you know, figuring out how to head in the right direction. So it's a pretty cool, you know, pretty cool work that we get to do. And we also get to um, interface with uh, human resource directors and um, CEOs. And like we kind of function throughout the whole organization, which is cool because we do the one-on-one coaching. Yeah, no, it mean, it's super cool. I love it. You're like, it's pretty cool. It's super cool. And even like <laughs> sitting here listening to you explain, you know, what you've created and the work you're doing within it and the work that I'm joining you in, yeah. um, you know, I'm just excited. It like, it energizes me through my experience of, you know, being a part of and having a role in building high trust, high performing teams. How do, you know, how are we creating teams that can get on top of the podium over and over again? And, you know, when you're talking about the breakdowns of discovering where your culture is currently at yeah. and knowing where your culture can go and what you need to set in place to do so yeah, um, is such a cool thing. And I think that's the energizing piece to me as a li- like listening to you speak about it, because I know the feeling of what it feels like when the culture is intact, when there's trust in a full group, uh, when you are moving together and pulling, you know, pulling on the rope uh, together in the same direction and how you can maximize performance and the greatness that you can reach as yeah. a team when you're operating in this space. And to me, that's exciting. I mean, that wouldn't, you know, like, I think anyone who's listening, who is a part of a team, um, leading a team or wanting to create a team should be leaning in eager to what you just shared, because, you know, I mean, you can become unstoppable when all of those things are in place. And at the same time, um, it's a really meaningful process because it's there, there's, there's elements that are really solid in that, that you can build off of. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is my happy place is talking about all of this. Cause it just, it's taken, like I said, I, you really have to understand individual health, well-being and optimal performance. Right. Mm-hmm. And that was that kind of dedication in the sweet spot of working one-on-one with individuals, but then figuring out, you know, how teams work and then how you might interface with an entire, you know, hundred plus employee organization or more. I mean, we have clients who have, um, we kind of function between 100 and 300 employees with our clients. And yeah, it's so fun. And I know you know the experience of synergy, right? I mean, that's, we're born to experience that we're, you know, the book I'm working on is on true flow. And it's about um, the fact that we're actually born in and for flow, right? That experience of synergy, that experience of being in the pocket, our bodies and minds and spirits long for that. Um, and you know, we don't, we're not going to have it, not going to live in it all the time, but, you know, learning how to kind of eddy in and out of flow, but also, like you said, drop in and 
kind of experience that goodness for a while and then also, you know, get good enough to help other people experience yeah. like that's so profound. And I know that was your role in the on the national and Olympic teams, like you working to build that kind of culture. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and just that it, it is work, you know, you share it it work and it really is. And it takes time, um, you know, yep. and so it, it, I mean, just to have, have a, a service that you can provide like mindful warrior for teams is, is pretty powerful because like you said, it's, you got to be good at your craft and, you know, you're leading and running a business at the same time. It's, you know, it's almost flipped for CEOs and that are working in these companies of like, they've got to run this business and yeah. keep, keep it moving forward. But also, you know, how do they, you know, how do they connect and bring these teams together and make sure culture that's a full-time job in itself. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it pretty awesome. I mean, super yeah. cool. And again, energizing to talk about. I, I wanted to ask a little bit about who Cornelia is outside of um, the role of CEO um, and founder of Mindful Warrior and and kind of in the way of connecting to like, how is your upbringing um, connected you to this journey of, you know, being a photographer for a documentary and getting into spiritual healing and um, or getting into healing and then, you know, studying spirituality. I mean, what a fascinating, you know, life you've already lived. And, you know, how did it start? Who, who's, who's young Cornelia and her upbringing? How did it influence kind of the path that you took? Yeah, I've been thinking about that. I, I feel like when you write a book, you have to think about everything. So I've definitely been reflecting on that. So, I mean, as a kiddo, I was, um, um, I was like, according to my grandmother, you know, I had like a ton of energy and a huge light. Like I was just mm -hmm. that kid. Um, and around six, I think it was, I started competing. Um, and I, my daughter is 10 and I don't, she, I don't think she's competed in anything at this point. So I'm yeah. like, Oh my gosh, I was competing at the age of like ripe little age of six and seven. And, and, um, and I was a ski racer. Mm -hmm. So I look back, it's funny now being a mom, because I realize like there's so many different ways of raising children and there's so many different ways that people grow up. I happen to grow up in a very, um, you know, I, I think disciplined, organized uh, environment that was my parents, particularly my father. And I think I'm a classic female CEO with a very hard driving, very loving, um, but very competitive father who wanted me to perform on all, on all um, levels, whether it was academic or athletic. So I grew up ski racing and we went um, up into the mountains every single weekend. And I, you know, had, I mean, I think I've had like 30 or 40 different coaches over the years and, wow. like, you know, whether it's, um, you know, skill coaches or it's conditioning coaches or it's, um, I don't know, different, just different coaches, right? You know, and you have the Mighty Mike coaches and then you have, oh my gosh, you're like a little bit further along and you have those coaches. And then you, one day you might even get to choose your coach. You know, I remember that moment when I met somebody and I was like, oh my gosh, this is the coach I truly, truly want. And I found him. And so I took time off to, from college to, to train with him full time. And so I, I think I was, um, you know, I loved being outdoors. I loved pushing myself. I loved the feeling of like draining the tank in yeah. a good way. 
um, and leaving it all, you know, we, we, you know, not leaving it on the field, but leaving it on the mountain. Mm -hmm. So I think that was, and then the only other thing I think is probably important as I reflect on it is I think I've always been artistically oriented and um, whether it was like, uh, I remember I took a Shakespeare class in, in high school and I was like writing pensées, like, and I'm like, why do I know how to write these like kind of little kind of maxims, these little, like, it was sort of weird. Um, And there were these little inspirational tidbits. And I think that was an early sign that I was kind of philosophically, theologically and spiritually oriented. And Mm -hmm. I love to write and create. And um, yeah, that's, that's a bit about who I was when I was little. Yeah. What, what followed, um, what followed that? I mean, you kind of went to this, this season where you were an athlete, right? And yeah. it was all about that. And there's so many skills and traits that you were pulling from that. And then also this kind of discovery of, you know, you being a creative and a writer connected yeah. to spirituality in school, like, you know, as being a, a young one and kind of discovering that, but what, what followed that? Like you said, you took some time off in college. Yeah. And then you came back and I know that there's this kind of healer path that you were on. And then you decided to go to divinity school um, at Harvard. And so I'm like, how did that come to be? I'm super curious of like, what were, what were the stepping stones to that? Yeah. I mean, so I do think, you know, we don't have to go into detail on this, but it was pretty significant that I had a very, very, very serious um, life-threatening injury. Um, and so that happened while I was training on a glacier in Austria and, um, you know, landed on my head and neck going probably somewhere close to 50 miles an hour on my skis. And this is before helmets. So it was a direct hit. And, um, and so, you know, that, that's, that's, that's sort of like, um, again, like there's a lot to talk about there, but if we just say, okay, there was a huge traumatic brain trauma, mm-hmm. um, I was able to, uh, you know, function mostly, but for basically a decade, I had very severe pain in the back of my head and neck and, um, uh, suicidal ideation and depression um, that's really common with head injuries. And that, and what happened is I'm from a very Western scientific family. And um, that just at that time, and even sort of still now, like Western science is, is still not that advanced on how to treat brain injuries. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that kind of launch, I was like, I got to heal somehow. So I was just well enough to be able to function to sort of survive, to find my way to, and that's kind of what led into yoga and homeopathy and meditation and um, Ayurveda and uh, acupuncture and all that stuff. And, and, and those systems are not separate from spirituality. Like mm-hmm. the, they're all about, they connect, first of all, when I was at, so I'm kind of jumping around, but when I got to Harvard, I took a lot of classes on medanthro, medical anthropology. And I started to unpack and understand the way other non-Western cultures understand how to um, heal and create ritual and healing and transformation, Mm -hmm. both through trauma, but also to let, so to speak, let, to use our language, level people up. Like how yeah. do you actually grow human beings? 
Um, and I was below the line. I was in suffering, right? I had to like get through tremendous pain to even get to like level set to then forget about thriving. I just had to come through that. So all of that, Cami, I think, and meeting this really interesting philosopher, um, Sawyer uh, gentleman in May, in the middle of rural Maine, who was like talking to me about the Bible and the Stoics. And I mean, he was like in his seventies doing all of this stuff while kind of living on a shoestring, but he was like brilliant. And mm. um, he was seventh generation working with wood in Maine. And we just sort of had this like spiritual connection. And I was like, how did, what is this thing? Like the Stoics and the Bible and connected to craftsmanship and like, and then healing. And I was going through all this stuff. So I, for me, Harvard, um, ironically, it's one of the most extraordinary places. Um, I think still in the world where people like me, people interested in craftsmanship or spirituality or healing or excellence or business or anything, but through the lens of health, well-being, optimal performance and spirituality come together to study. I mean, I just got luck. In some ways I feel like, look, and I was, by the way, as an atheist applying to grad school. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I think I got lucky and I think God got me. Yep. Um, before I had God and I found my way there. So that's kind of, and the other cool thing is that it was Harvard for me that helped because I was an atheist. So it was like, all right, I'll go and kind of study that at arms, not totally at arm's length, but like I wasn't going, you know, it's going very academically. Um, but then there was the business school and I was super interested. I've been interested in business since I was young. And so I got to kind of walk back and forth across the Charles River and study at those two schools. Wow. Wow. I think it's, it's pretty, you know, and just listening to everything, it's, it's amazing to hear the journey of others. I mean, everyone has a story and it's, you know, everyone's is rich in one way or another. What really stands out to me is this, this connection with this um, older gentleman that really served as an expander to, yeah. you know, of what is possible, how he was blending all of these different things in his world and expanding what could be for you um, and ex exemplifying that. And I think, you know, when I think about when you started in your professional coaching career, yeah. Mm -hmm. there wasn't many expanders, right. there wasn't many people doing what we're doing today, you know, right. and it's growing, but I'm curious of like, you know, you don't wake up one day and say like, I want to be, you know, one of the best coaches in the world for, you know, our top elite humans in our world. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so I'm, right. I'm curious of, I mean, like here, you've been on this like amazing journey, you know, it, facing challenges experiencing those successes, meeting expanders in one way or the other, just being super hungry and curious to learn yeah. and dive into books. And I mean, you're, you're, it sounds like divinity school was just out of a really strong curiosity. Like, yeah, well said. I think that's what people around me would st still say. Like my closest friends are like, you just have insatiable curiosity. Yes. yes. So I'm curious of like, how did you then start 
like pivoting into or, or getting into coaching with not a lot of people showing you the way. Like, yeah. did you even know that you were like a performance coach? Like, did, could you even name no. that at the time? No, I mean, I mean, I, I forgot to mention like Dan Millman um, and his book, Way of the Peaceful Warrior um, came out when I was um, trying to remember how old I was. I think it came out in the late seventies. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that's right. Maybe it was the early eighties. I'm not sure. But anyway, I was still kind of young. I was um, a teenager when I read that book and he talks about, um, so he's, he, he was a gymnast at UC Berkeley. Um, I don't know if he was an Olympian, but he was definitely a really strong gymnast. And he had this relationship. It's fictional, but based sort of on fact, I think mm -hmm. um, he had this relationship with a coach that he ended up calling Socrates. And it was this coach who was, like a Zen master in his life and would take him into the hills behind Berkeley. And at that time, like I'm, I'm living in Boston and Berkeley and these hills. And I'm like, and now I live in California and it's like in my backyard. But at the time I was like, Oh my God, this is so cool and magical and mystical. And, um, and that coach Socrates, um, was his mental, emotional, spiritual trainer. So he had like the elite level gymnastics training at Berkeley, but, all of us athletes always, you're always looking for that kind of competitive advantage and edge. And I think when you're really committed to your craft, you just really want to understand how to embody it to the mm -hmm. fullest extent. And I knew because I grew up in the seventies and eighties, like this is before yoga was everywhere. This is before, you know, people were talking about spirituality. Like it's like, you know, a type of coffee that you can get, you know, whatever, right. like it's just everywhere all the time, which, which spirituality are you trying today or whatever? Um, and so you asked me like, did I know I was going to be X? No. Did I know that I really, I think the thing, the through line for me, um, is that I've always been interested in optimal human kind of I want to say, I don't want to say performance, but I'm going to say performance, but because I mean like optimal human flourishing, mm -hmm. like beyond just performance, though, I really obviously believe heavily in what performing and performance and training teaches, but I believe there's something much bigger than just executing a performance. It's like, how do you s literally realize your calling, right? It's very, become very big and very spiritual for me. Um, so I think of, Socrates as like, I kind of wanted to have a Socrates. I remember saying to my mom, like, I think I need like a shaman or a spiritual teacher. And I was like 13 or something. My poor mother is like in Boston. Like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think I wanted that and then I couldn't find it in human form. Sure. So I studied like mad and I think I, in a way, became the thing that I most needed when I was younger. Mm -hmm. And um, it's even like a little emotional for me even just saying that because I am so committed. We haven't even talked to like, I'm so committed to, to children and to, to helping, um, you know, young people have these kinds of resources because this gets into stuff that you and I may or may not talk about on this interview, but just the pain um, of being on teams that are dysfunctional or toxic, um, or just, you know, feeling lost as somebody who has so much gift and potential, but maybe the culture doesn't know how to support 
you know, your, your growth. So I think, um, I didn't know this is what I was going to become, but I think I just tried to become the thing that I most needed. And then I've been just trying to pay it forward. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, when you're talking about the pain that comes with dysfunctional teams, you're talking about teams in the sense, I mean, that's a really broad way you're using teams, whether it's family, schools, athletic, any sort of kind of group that you're functioning in. And really, you know, this kind of wholeness that you're after with the individual that you're working with and inviting space to be a complete whole human in the craft that you're getting after. I mean, that was really felt when you were describing that, Cornelia, for sure. And I think that's the beauty in the work that you're sharing. It's about being your whole self, your best self, and, you know, reaching great heights while you're at it. Um, And again, that's where I think, that's where I think the just, it really is meaningful when you get to where you're going, if you can come with all parts of you. Exactly. And so it's just, it's, it's really, it's really neat to hear you speak about that. Um, And speaking about your influence on the world and others, and even, you know, children and, and everyone that you've worked on. You are writing a book. Talk about a, a reach and impact and a reach and influence. Um, and like you said, you've always been a writer. You know, it's, yeah. it started young and, and dabbling. And, you know, I've, I've gotten to read a lot of your work and watch you build content. It's incredible. I'm like, let me borrow your brain for one day and see what I can get done, please. And thank you. Um, so you've always been a writer, but... I know, and I'm, I'm curious to even ask a little bit deeper dive of like, what's the experience of writing your first book? (laughs) Take a deep breath. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, Oh, it depends on what day you catch me on Cami. I, I think it's like, uh, it's, um, it, the, the experience of writing a book is, I'm just thinking about all the things I've said, like when I, you know, when I'm talking to a friend, I'm like, okay, first of all, to you as an Olympian, I would say it feels like an Olympic event because, and I've told you this, there's, it's, it's completely off stage, in the grind, it's grueling. And, um, and it's, and at some point, suddenly the, when it, when you go to perform or when the book comes out, everybody's looking at you, but everything leading up to that and everything after is just, you know, in total ignominy. Like you're just Mm -hmm. there in the middle of nowhere doing your thing. And nobody's, you know, you, you just have to show up. And, um, and also just like an, I feel like the thing that's been really interesting for me as an athlete being a writer um, is uh, just like, um, the 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 willingness to grind and do what you need to do when no one's looking mm-hmm. um is one thing um the other thing is that in the same way that athletics forces you to face your stuff because you hit a, some kind of wall and you don't know what the wall is sometimes it's physical but a lot of the times it's mental emotional and spiritual mm-hmm. and um and you know that until you figure that not in your heart out, you're going to be stuck at whatever level you're at. 
And the same thing has happened with this book. Like I'll start working on, you know, something that I think is a chapter on X. And all of a sudden I realize I can't get there until I loosen or examine the knot in my heart that won't even like, until I address this, I can't even get to the chapter that I need to write about this other thing. Mm. So there's been like the book, the there's like, there's, I've written 130 to 150,000 words at this point. I owe 85. And of the ones that I've written, I think I've, I've had to write kind of like almost like a book to get me to understand the real book. And even some of that writing has been simply to untangle either my own heart or like stuff, even in my family lineage in order to be able to write the actual book. So, you know, it's just like training. Like you got to put in so many reps that nobody sees, nobody cares about. You mm -hmm. sometimes want to do, sometimes you really don't want to do it, but you got to do yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so it's a lot like that. And, and so in that way, like, I think it's a combination, let's say this, it's a combination of like the greatest blessing because I feel like it's such a blessing to be able to do your own work. Mm -hmm. and and work hard at something and I like to work like I just like it I feel like it's just I mean I, I like to rest too but I mean I love to like grow and discover um so I appreciate I feel really blessed and then I feel like it's also been like legitimately agonizing yes yeah yeah and I think even just kind of as a witness from afar and you know I think one of the things and I'll lift this up for you because I think one of the things about going through the Olympic journey is I always say like, like no one will ever know unless you were in the water, what it was like, we are the athletes showing up each day. So like our partners, our spouses, our parents, whoever we're closest with at that time, who may be a massive support in the journey still will never know what it is to actually do it. And so I always yeah. say people don't get a, a privilege of an opinion. You know, we're always yeah. like, I'm like, they don't get it. You know, like they're just yeah. not in it. They don't know what it took you to get through that chapter. They don't know what it took for you and that teammate to get the timing of that specific pass that led to a goal, you know, exactly. And people can always sit in the stands and say like, Oh, well, that was a bad pass, but they have no idea what goes in behind training exactly. to get there. So I'm like, you don't get a privilege of an opinion. Um, I like that. I'm going to borrow that from you. Yeah, please do. Um, and so, you know, I just want to lift up like you are truly the one connected to the work that you're doing. And even as a witness, I'll never know what you're going through. You know, even the closest to the project will not, um, except yeah. for you. And I think no, I will. I have to hop in here. Yeah. I know this is my interview, but I have to give kudos to you because you are I, I do want like listeners to understand what it means to be an extraordinary teammate. And so, you Thank know, you. you have been like just the ability to, um, you know, maybe this is about like women truly supporting women, yeah. celebrating each other, championing, like just that, even though, yes, I, I mean, you, what you just said, I completely agree with. And also I do want to lift up the importance of coming alongside another like person. Um, yes. and especially it's been meaningful to be seen by you because you at least understand just what it takes to be 
pursuing something at the highest level mm -hmm. of excellence and the grind and also like you understand the the joy and the playfulness that's necessary in the midst of yeah. all of that. Yes, thank you. Well, I mean, being a teammate is a zone that I think we're both comfortable in um, and lucky that we are teammates. Um, yes. So thank you for that. I think uh, I'm, I'm curious of, have you found any sort of flow, routine, consistency in this journey of writing a book? Like, I mean, mm -hmm. there could be, imagine you have a listener that is like dreaming about writing a book, starting the process and fumbling, um, or in it right now that just needs to hear like, <laughs> you know, what yeah. your experience is. Oh my gosh, I love that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so... Um, I, I have a couple of things to say about that. One is somebody had told me at the beginning of this journey that they didn't know any writer who had ever gotten a book done without like going to some crazy, you know, cabin in the woods or, you know, a hotel room or mm -hmm. somewhere. So I took that seriously and got really lucky and somebody offered me a space to go to. And I, I will say that I don't really believe that this book could have gotten done if I had tried to do it out of my own home because I am a mom and I am a wife and I, you know, there's always the like hallway that needs cleaning or the dishes that need to be done or the laundry or like somebody's skin to knee or whatever the, it's, you know, there's a, there's a call to take. Um, I have found it has been absolutely critical and you've been part of this and the rest of our team in protecting the space and time for me to drop in to that zone and um, so I would say that has been, and it actually has been a flow space for me. I think you can, I, I will say like, if anybody's listening and I, I want to be really real about the terrors of, of setting yourself up for success. Like mm -hmm. when I set those two weeks aside to go and be at that place, I realized I had like no alibis. Like you guys had given me the space. I had taken everything down there. I had, you know, like everything was set up for success. So it was like, oh my gosh, the only way I can fail is just me like I fail or whatever and I think you even coached me like even or I think Kevin did he was like even that is still success like be okay with getting there and having writer's block yes um which fortunately I haven't but just so number one it it is such a deal to just make some space take yourself seriously um set yourself up for success and even if because I think a lot a big reason a lot of people don't do that is because the terror of truly setting yourself up. I saw that. I saw my own saboteurs saying like, mm -hmm. um, are you sure you want to like make your husband take care of the kid for two, like yeah. or what, just everything. The company has to run, like everybody had to help for me to leave. Yes. And so that is like, I'm asking all of this help from other people or like, you know, people to step up and, and support a project. So then you kind of like, you're like, God, you hope you execute. So mm -hmm. then I can see like how you might be nervous about doing that. So do it. And, 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 and ideally if you don't have a spouse, like I have, I'm going to be that person to you listener and say, like, even if you're terrified and you might have writer's block, that's still being a writer. Like it, mm. all of it is being a writer. So just go and fail, go and mis make mistakes, go and try, go and succeed. It's all part of the success. Um, that's one thing about being in the zone. And then the other thing that has really been cool, Cami, is figuring out, I was on a hike with girlfriends the other day 
like mm-hmm. first time in two years. I'm like, oh God, I still have girlfriends. <laughs> um, and they were like, shouldn't we? Because one of them has a child who's um, just got learning differences, is autistic, ADD. No, uh, sorry, um, Asperger's and ADHD. And she's like, I feel like we should just set up our our whole school system just to be in the flow. Like everything should be about flow. And I said, well, okay, as a mom, yes, that would be so awesome. (laughs) Um, But so much of life is learning how to move in and out of the pocket. And so the other thing I would say just in terms of being a writer and being in flow zones and so forth is I don't think I'm learning that the pocket of flow happens when you're willing to be gritty in the bumpy waters on the edge of the flow. Mm-hmm. And um, that there's a real art in that, that if you can't do that, you're either always in the swamp because you're too scared to get into the real river, mm-hmm. or you don't have the grit to stay in that like funky zone. So you then get kicked into eddies all the time using river analogies, but like getting into the flow is like a kind of an aggressive, you know, we talk about breaking through, cutting through eddy lines when I'm a former raft guide, right? You've got to cut through an eddy line. You've got to be directionally intentional and you've got to be willing to go through some bumpy stuff to get back into a pocket, um, either on your own or with a project or with another human being. The pocket of flow is earned. Precisely. Absolutely. And really, really helpful, I would say, to probably anyone who's thinking about it, you know, uh, thinking about writing a book and just having some of those those guidelines and setting aside time to have freedom to see what comes up, failure, success, and everything in between. Um, And I've watched you courageously continue to show up in that space and, and lean in. Um, And it's, it's been phenomenal to witness. Um, What you're welcome. What do you, what would you, what's your hope for when the book is released and I'm going to take, I'm going to, I'm going to take it a few, I'm going to visualize and dream with you a little bit. It goes out, right. it reaches the hands of many. It's, you know, people are reading it. What's the impact uh, on the reader that you want this book to have? Um, so I really want the first and foremost, I want people to feel in like, have, have like feel the, the power of flow of what, what can be when you know, elite level, um, or just any skill meets any challenge. And you can kind of enter that. Like, I want people to have a feel of what's possible. I want people to feel hope. Mm. You know, I want people to feel like, I mean, we are in a moment where the challenges, right, are extreme, whether it's financial or epidemiological or relational or national or global or climate change or whatever, like it's massive. And, and then everybody in the midst of all that just has their like day to day, like what realities and paying the bills and trying to communicate well with other people and whatever. So like the challenges are really, really high. And so, you know, what Flo says is like, you've got, we've got to develop those skills to meet the challenge. And um, so I want my book to um, inspire people to 
I, I, I spend very little time at the beginning talking about the challenges. I think we know what they are. What I'm really talking about is the skills we need mm. to meet the challenges, both our everyday challenges, but also these um, like, like what feels like, um, you know, systems probably, uh, uh, not probably, like there's an important kind of dissolution of things right now. And then there's going to be, a, I think, I hope, we all hope there's going to be an emergence and a rise of, yes. of real spiritual warriors who are ready to be much more conscious, much more um, healthy, well, and optimizing um, of themselves and others. And so that's really, the book is about um, the transformation of consciousness, mm -hmm. actually, mm -hmm. um, that's necessary to meet the current challenges of today. And one of the transformations of consciousness came in, I know you'll understand this as, a, as an elite athlete, is the ability to go from thinking of yourself as an individual to thinking of yourself as, as truly part of something um, relational. Mm -hmm. And that, and that's the difference between a group and a team. Yes. Right. A team understands mutual accountability and mutuality and reciprocity. Right. And that ability to like, think of yourself as one big human family and one big human team, rather than all these factions based on race and gender and class and religion and all that stuff. That is a massive shift in consciousness, but that is the shift that's necessary to meet the challenges we have, which is why I'm calling the book True Flow, because it's not just about being in the sweet performance pocket, though that's lovely. It's about us collectively working now as a global family team to address um, the challenges that are facing all of us. So awesome. I, you know, I, again, being a witness of the emotional, physical, and spiritual journey. And even like you said, you're untying knots in your heart to be able to pour the words onto the paper for your readers. Um, and when I hear you explain really just the range of the material, I mean, we're just getting a snippet. I know it's like, it's, it's, it's going to be incredible. Um, but just, I mean, this can go to teammates, to mothers, to uh, leaders, to CEOs, to, you know, young kids who are just joining, you know, their first middle school basketball team. I mean, there's, there's, there's pieces of all of that in your book. I mean, like I imagine, you know, um, young, young college women on a hike, listening to it in their ear pods, you know what I mean? And so I think it's incredible, not only like we've named the challenges, we're living the challenges. And I can't yeah. wait for um, the spiritual warriors that you said, you know, they're going to get their hands on your book um, and then have them rise from it. And you're giving them the toolbox to get through some of these things. You're not just saying like, yeah, here are the challenges, but you're like, no, here are the tools. Now go rise exactly. to that spiritual warrior that you are um, yes. and let's do it together. What an invitation. Yes. So um it, I mean, that's an exciting thing. And I'm sure even the impact that you're dreaming of it will have on your readers will still grow um, and change as you're, as you're going through this journey of writing this book. Right. Um, and this is just the process of sharing that, you know, it's not, yes. it's not said and done. It's just, it will continue to evolve as you will. And as your book will, right. um, which is exciting. I think the last thing I'd love to ask you as we're kind of getting to the end of our time here is um, 
you've shared, you've been so generous in sharing your story and your journey. And I know we're just barely scratching the surface, but you've given us such a wonderful um, picture and image of how you've come to where you're at. Um, and I'm, I'm curious of like, is there any sort of like kind of profound learning lessons or mantras or something that you keep close to your heart um, that gets you through each day? You know, what, what helps you stay motivated and inspired, you know, um, aha moments that were profound or anything like that. I am sure something's coming up for you as I ask that. Um, well, I'm not, interestingly, I'm not a huge mantra person. Mm -hmm. Um, but my husband, um, gave me one sort of over the last few years that I think has been a really good antidote to the way, uh, I was socialized and conditioned. Um, and he just will often say to me, everything's going to work out. And it's a really, it's, it's either BS and not true, or if you really decide to embody that phrase, it kind of is transformational. And I'm still in the process of trying to get every cell in my body to believe that mm -hmm. everything is going to work out a full embodiment of that beautiful cornelia thank you so much for joining us on mindful war radio again it is a pleasure that was so much fun um hopefully you enjoyed it as much as well i did cammy so, it's just been so much fun thank you great all righty well thank you so much and i'm sure we'll get you on here again as soon as possible awesome okay. thanks cammy take care all right bye Thank you to everyone who tuned in today as Cornelia and I discussed how her experience throughout her life has shaped her as a female CEO and her work as a performance and culture design coach. Cornelia shares the challenges and what she has learned through the journey of building her own company and is open and honest about the intimate process and mindset of writing her first book. When asked what the challenges of being an entrepreneur and running her own business, Cornelia expresses, being both truly excellent at your craft while having to be a business person. And that's not always the same skill. When asked, did she know she always wanted to be in the coaching realm? Cornelia answers, I didn't know that this is what I was going to become, but I think I just tried to become the thing I most needed. And I've just been trying to pay it forward. On the subject of writing her first book, Cornelia shares, I want to be really real about the terrors of setting yourself up for success. Cornelia has learned even if you're terrified and might have writer's block, that's still being a writer. All of it is being a writer. I enjoyed and really appreciated the words that Cornelia shared today. I look forward to our next discussion here on Mindful Warrior Radio. To learn more about Mindful Warrior and Mindful Warrior Radio, please follow us on Instagram at The Real Mindful Warrior and check out our website at www.mindfulwarrior.com. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.